And welcome to another edition of Racing Through Time NASCAR podcast right now covering the 1986 NASCAR Winston Cup season. Andy Waddell along with Ricky Wittenberg here again this evening. And Andy, how are you doing this week? I haven't been this excited since spring of 1998. Uh, what happened in the spring of 1998 besides uh, us getting out of jail? No, the Cindy Crawford Playboy edition. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, yes, good call. Good call. Um, yes. So we, uh, this week we are going to cover race nine and 10 of the NASCAR season. We are going to go over Riverside and, uh, Pocono. Quite a, quite a lot to talk about this week, Andy. Oh, yes. It's, it's a tale of two cities, a tale of two races. It's a wonderful thing. For sure. Now, if you've listened to this show, you probably know how to find us, but just in case you don't, you've could, you've probably stumbled on us across the um, Apple iTunes, you can find us on Stitcher, we are on SoundCloud, and we are also on Google Play Music. Please join our Facebook group at Racing Through Time. We will add you on there. You can share your thoughts. We'll read thoughts on the air. Let us know uh, what you think about the races and the podcast. And um, we try to be interactive. If, if people send us messages, we definitely answer. Yes, uh, good messages, bad messages, just we want to talk to somebody. Oh, yes, and I, I've had a couple of the bad messages. I've tr- we've tried to tell people all along, Andy, that this is, we don't take it seriously. It's a joke, and just because in my World 600 thing last week when I made fun of Richard Petty because he had got hurt, it's joke, people. I, like, if he would have been, if he would have been, you know, died in that crash, I don't think I would have put that that particular sound blast in the podcast, but he was fine. It was just a joke, people. It's a joke. If you need a butthurt report, we will add one to our page, and you can fill it out, and we will turn it into the proper authorities. Yes, show me on the page where I touched you. Yes, we have little dolls if you need them for nine ninety five. But anyway, no, m- most of our <laughs> feedback's good, and I, and I think maybe some of this is people that just stumble on our show and don't really know, and they think that we're just two jackasses, which, I mean, yeah, we are. We are. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it is, uh, we're just trying to have fun. So, yeah, if we crack on somebody, it's a joke, people. Yeah, so, if we crack on your favorite driver, just hang on. We'll get one you don't like. Oh, yes, we definitely will. All right, so um, we're going to go to our first race of Riverside. But before that, we do have one article that I found that led into that week of the Riverside Race. And Andy, the article from the uh, Press Tribune of Roseville, California on Friday, May the 30th, 1986. Racer Dale Earnhardt is NASCAR bad boy. Yeah, what you gonna do, baby? To his stock car racing rivals, Dale Earnhardt has two nicknames, OTC for One Tough Customer. And Ironhead, Earnhardt is an aggressive driver. If a rival is driving into turn into a turn with the NASCAR Winston Cup mid-season points leader at his side, chances are good he'll have some of the blue or yellow paint from Earnhardt's Chevy Monte Carlo on his fender panels when they emerge on the next straightaway. If the incident occurs on a short track, the paint swapping is a near certainty. You always want to know when Dale is around you, said stock car driver Terry Labonte. 
I've seen him spin people out in practice. Yeah, Labonte, you're going to find them. You're going to you're going to have more problems with him down the road. Um, er, earlier this year, thanks to television replays, much of America saw an example of Earnhardt's handiwork in the Richmond 500. After being passed by Daryl Waltrip, Earnhardt clipped Waltrip's right rear bumper going into the next turn, sending Waltrip spinning off into a meeting with the concrete wall. My definition of good racing is getting in there close, rubbing a little, and then going on, Earnhardt said earlier this week as he prepared for NASCAR's first road course race of the season Sunday at Riverside International Raceway. I don't go out there with the intention to put to put the wheel into somebody and wreck them. Earnhardt's intent was brought into question in the Richmond incident with Waltrip. Immediately after the race, NASCAR fined Earnhardt for driving with reckless intent. The fine and probation he was under have since been rescinded. I admitted I made a mistake, said Earnhardt. The accident was my fault, but it was not intentional. I misread Waltrip. It was a scary situation. They couldn't pass judgment on reckless intent, though. No one understands the fine line between aggressiveness and recklessness, except the drivers on the track. Only Daryl and I know what happened in those cars. Had the incident been in the first the first of Earnhardt's career, it probably would have gone unnoticed, but it wasn't. The Waltrip incident put a lot of burden on us, said Earnhardt. Daryl and I have talked the thing over. We're fairly good friends, but our travels. Early in the race, Waltrip ran a car off into the infield, and nothing was said. He had every right to be upset, but it got blown way out of shape. I haven't changed my style of racing because of it either. If we came down to the same situation, I would not back off. I would try my darndest to get around him. Maybe I would be, maybe I would find a better way though. Earnhardt is one of the racers who's certain, who's constantly rides on the thin line between aggressiveness and recklessness. While auto racing is not meant to be a contact sport, short track Winston Cup comes as close as possible. In the Richmond race, explains Earnhardt, Daryl Waltrip had been knocking at my back bumper and I had been using up all the track. I felt he was pretty rough, but really he wasn't. He did nothing to bump me off the track. You can tell. He was just rubbing and pushing, trying to get a line. Okay, Andy, so, I mean, we're quite a ways past the Richmond race, but we had an article last week where somebody calls Waltrip a dirty driver, and then this week, Bill Center of, uh, Cosplay news service uh, kind of puts Earnhardt on uh, on point. I can't believe that's actually a thing. Cosplay news service. Oh, dear Lord. But anyway, all that matters is Rubbin's racing and short tracks. It's going to happen. He hooked him, but, you know, he says it's an accident. I take his word for it. Yeah, I mean, if you want to hear our thoughts, go back to um, episode number two, I think, of, uh, of this podcast, and we talk about that whole race in great detail. Okay, so... We are now to the race at, um, where are we? Riverside first. Yes. Oh, yeah, yes, we The are. Budweiser 400 at Riverside. So we're going to kick it off with some pre-race interviews and let the guys uh, set the stage, the drivers themselves, on what to expect here at Riverside. And, Daryl, if a guy likes to shift gears a lot and use the brakes a lot, he has come to the right place today. <laughs> it's, that's the only thing that you have to worry about out here is that you don't abuse... Uh, this little stick sticking up here in the floor. Uh, you have a lot of leverage, and it's connected to a very delicate piece of equipment, the gearbox. And if you abuse that, then you're going to be out of the race early. So 
from a driver's perspective, we have a lot of fun driving out here, but it's a real test on you, too. You have to use your head. And contact on the ovals is a way of life. Contact here at Riverside can be disaster. <laughs> well, you can get off in the dirt and uh, finally, eventually, sometime or another, find your way back out on the racetrack. But uh, you don't want to do that because it usually damages the suspension or bend a ball joint or knock the toe off in the car and you can't drive it as well. But at least there are places here where you can get off and survive, unlike an oval where most of the time if you make a mistake, you pay the dreaded price. Have a safe race. Oh, we're looking forward to it. Okay, Brock? Thanks, Steve. I'm with Jeff Bodine. He'll start on the outside of the front row. And Jeff, as you know, is on a hot streak. The Daytona 500 winner and a man who has uh, dominated Riverside uh, prior to this race. And, Jeff, you got to feel pretty good about, uh, with limited practice, starting on the outside here in the front. feel real good about it. Uh, this is really the best I've ever qualified here, the best I've run in practice. Uh, we've won a race here a few years back. And if this is any indication how we're going to do in this race, we should uh, have a good chance of winning. But there's a lot of tough competition next to me and behind me. It looks strong. Uh, weather's perfect. It's uh, got the cool suit on. So that uh, the old fatigue level shouldn't be a factor like they used to be here. Not at all. This is a short race, relatively. and uh, But we have the cool suit on. Got some air vents in here to keep things cool. And we're just uh, hoping for a real fun day out here. It's uh, it's a lot of work to get around this road course, but it can be fun if the car is working good and everything goes right. Okay, well, I hope it's fun for you, and we'll talk with you later. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Jeff. And now let's go to Steve with a third-place starter. Thank you, Brock. On the inside of row number two is another Junior Johnson car teammate to Darrell Walter, Neil Bonnet. Neil, how important is it here to lead this race early, or is it? Well, you know, it's so easy for somebody to get off the track up through the S's or somewhere. It's going to be a key factor to try to get to the front and stay there. Anytime you're back there, the simple numbers are that there's a chance of something happening in front of you. So we're going to try to stay in the front if at all possible. What kind of a pit stop strategy are you looking at? We're going to let these guys in the pits make those calculations. They're going to let me mash these buttons and pedals and steer the thing a little bit. And I'll let them work on that. They'll just call me when they're ready. you like the road race or would you rather be on a super speedway? I like to race anything. If you want to get a bicycle, we'll try that. But, you know, it's a different brand of racing for us. And it's hard for me to do. I have to work hard to run good on a road course. And hopefully I'll do my job today. We'll run good. We'll be watching. Thank you. Thank you. Brock? <laughs> Steve, I'm starting with a man on the outside of the second row, former winner at Riverside, expert road racer, he tells me anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, you are. Dale Walter told you that, I think. <laughs> now, we're, uh, we're starting third, but it looks like we're in the fourth position. The pole man's over here. Yeah, I don't understand that. Uh, you're, uh, if you're going into turn one, you got to be on the outside of, uh, that's got to be a disadvantage, I would imagine. Well, it, it doesn't help, and normally, you know, the third-place man starts behind the first place, right, you know, right. odd and even in each row, and somehow they've got it switched around here, but we're just, we're not going to take off and really try to put a hurt on them at first, if we're even able to. We're just going to ride and see if, uh, hopefully everybody else's piece fades and ours will take off and run away from them. Two stops or three? Well, hopefully, if everything worked out right, we, the year we won it in 82 out here, we only made one stop. Um, but I don't know how Harry's got the thing figured right now. I imagine if we can, if things work out right, we may be doing a one-stop, but there'll probably be more cautions than that. Okay, well, uh, all kidding aside, you do like this racetrack, and you run good here, so you got to feel pretty good about the way the car's qualified and set up. Well, I do, you know, but I have one here since 82, and this is 86. <laughs> we've, we've never qualified until less than fourth, but we've never been on the pole. And we have one since 82. We've had a couple of shots at it, but uh seems like these guys that haven't won a race ever keep popping into it like when I won, I'd never won a Winston Cup race, so 
hopefully we can go back to old tradition and old uh, old hats and uh, uh, a repeat winner from an old veteran, Tim Rissman. Good luck. Thank you very okay. much. Richmond certainly of the spirit today on the inside of the third row. And there you have some pre-race interviews from the uh, the drivers, Andy. We hear from the top four, and uh, they all was pretty pumped up. I mean, Jeff Bodine's always, you know, my God, he was the rocket man. Before Ryan Newman become the rocket man in NASCAR, it had to be Jeff Bodine. He was always in the top three or four no matter where they went. Yeah, as long as he could keep the motor hold together, you know, he could do pretty good. But uh, Waltrip making some jokes there about not getting rent off. You eventually find your way back. Tim Richmond is always just as lively as ever. He was in a real good mood. Neil Bonnet's ready to race anything, including bicycles. I would take on that challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he could he could give uh, he could give Neil a good race in a bicycle. I mean, my God, with Bonnet's luck, he'd probably wipe out on the you know halfway into the race and, and break a leg or something. He just he had some horrible luck with. Uh, with crashes through his career. He'd be like that cartoon with the bite with a stick going through the spokes. Yeah. So uh we have that uh early driver introductions to try to kick it off. Uh with yeah, Riverside man, the way that they shot the workers uh giving the driver the thumbs up. That's cool. I'm seeing all the track workers giving the drivers the thumbs up as they go around on the pace laps. And then we get like an introduction to the track. And uh man, I would love to set and turn six at Riverside and watch those cars slide through there because when they're watching the race, that was just awesome. Oh, yeah. I don't want to be at the S's. I'm sorry. Just that doop, 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 and just watch them bounce all over the place. Yeah, I mean, just walk back and forth maybe. Try to try to catch it from a couple of different viewpoints. I but, need a golf cart or something. Yeah, oh, yeah. There was some elevation there. So turn nine is over 3,000 feet. A 3,000-foot turn in NASCAR. That's awesome. Uh, you know, and it's like a reverse turn. It's almost like an oval turn, except it's the other way. Yeah, and they spend so much time in the turn that they can actually cut away to another race and then come back to it. Yeah, yeah. we can show you this uh, USAC midget race, but, and by the time it's over, they might be out of that turn. So we were going to go green flag racing, Darrell Waltrip, Jeff Bodine on the front row, and uh, we get Bodine on the start getting ahead of Waltrip, and uh, also uh, he gets ahead and the 25 gets into the 11, but he settles into third. So Richmond tried to make a move on Walter Burley. The door got slammed on him. Uh, turn nine, that banked right-hander, yeah, a lot of elevation changes. It's just, spe- Richmond was a, or sorry, yeah, Richmond was awesome, but Riverside, wherever I'm trying to talk about, the racetrack, it was just, it was something unique. I wish, I mean, we do have Sears Point has elevation changes, but I don't think there's anything like Riverside. No, when you can't see what's on the other side of the hill, that right there is a heck of an elevation change going up and down. Yeah, and then the straightaway, you know, the straightaway at Riverside there, um, you could, it was long enough to where I think you got some draft and you could almost slingshot people down the straightaway if you got a good run out of the turns. Oh, definitely. You see it two or three times them going down through there and they'll get a draft and then pass before they have to break it. So a lot of, um, a lot of different unique characteristics of the Riverside track. We've already got, I mean, this is what, second lap of the race? And look at all the dirt that's on the track from people running off. And I, it may be just like the Richmond race. Hell, before the race ever started at Richmond, the track was covered in dirt. I don't know I don't know what they do before the NASCAR races, but they like to go sling some dirt 
and dust out onto the track just to make it a little more interesting. My guess is the track workers probably go out there and get off and pick up trash or whatever, and then they drive back on the track and they track the dirt back on the dirty dirt. Yeah, it's something like that. They didn't have big jet blowers back then to, to blow all that clean, so we get a lot of dust and dirt on the track right away. Uh, we get Tim Richmond here early on lap two, getting by Waltrip for second. And the cars, when you're watching this race, go back and watch this one. I mean, this is definitely one worth watching. The way the cars slide and skate through the turns is just awesome. Andy. Yes, there's no bouncing. It's just in and out. It's crazy. Uh, you have to see this race. If you don't watch another one the rest of the year, go back and watch this one. Yeah, it's it's worth every bit of the time spent to watch this race. Uh, we get Richmond on the back end of Bodine, and the 11 and the 44, uh, they're right behind them. So it's yeah, that, I think that was a shot on the straightaway there when Richmond gets behind Bodine going down that long back straightaway, and you have Waltrip and Labonte. It's I swear to God, it's almost like they're drafting up to them on those straightaways, and they kind of get separated through the turns, but... When they hit that straightaway, they kind of all just kind of come together. Yeah, it's it's like watching Talladega and Richmond and Martinsville. Uh, Martinsville, and, Martinsville they, all yeah. the tracks just combined together, one Frankenstein looking thing. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, so we get uh, Labonte goes by Waltrip for third. He's pretty fast early, and then Tim Richmond passed Jeff Bodine in the S's. I mean, God Almighty, that was. You, that is not a passing zone <laughs> at all. See, see, Tim Richmond should have got a sponsorship from a wheelbarrow because that's what he needs to haul his balls to make a move like that. It was cool. And, I mean, that, that also, teammates not giving each other any any room, but, but not, you know, not wrecking each other either. So, uh, Richmond and Bodine, teammates at Hendrick, but... No team orders back in 1986. No, this would not happen today. I mean, it just back then it was still the individual driver taking care of himself. Oh yeah, I mean they were. Richmond was driving for Folgers Coffee. He just happened to have a Rick Hendrick backing. Uh, Bodine was driving for Levi Garrett, and and they didn't. You know, they were racing each other as hard as they was racing anybody else. So now we've got Terry Labonte on the back of uh, both of the leaders, and then Walter pulls back up close to them all. So the Riverside's just the drafting down the straightaways. We go to our first commercial break. Richmond, Bodine, Labonte, Waltrip. Uh, we also have Neil Bonnet in the top five. So Linda Rudd is shown scoring for Ricky, and we don't see Mike Joy's nowhere in sight this week. The restraining order went into effect. Yeah, the restraining order was already into effect. We have Dell Earnhardt knifing through the field. He passes Petty and Bonnet both without much trouble at all. Well, he saw what Richmond was doing, and he didn't want to be outdone. Yeah, he said, no, I, you, you're not the only one that can do that. We have, uh, now we have Rusty Wallace and Bill Elliott. They're racing hard for 10th place. We have Elliott getting by Wallace, and uh, Wallace is kind of slipping back early here as Bobby Allison is all over him for uh, for 11th. Yeah, and they're talking about maybe he's losing transmission fluid or something like that, and they brought out what they said was transmission fluid or rearing oil. It looked to me like a mini steel, I'm just saying. Yeah, it could have been. I mean, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know what those look like <laughs> living here in the mountains of East Tennessee. I've never seen one. Oh, yeah, me neither. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, we... Uh, we are familiar with uh, Popcorn Sutton because he literally lived in the next county over from where we're at. 
Yes, not more than 50 miles max. Yeah, uh, 50? 20? Well, it depends on how drunk you were. <laughs> it depends on how you got to the... Yeah, it, it did. Newport is a whole... Di- Newport is not recognized as part of the state of Tennessee as far as I know. Well, it is if you're in the right circles. <laughs> it <laughs> yes, depends. and I may not be on this show next week after I said that. Uh, I love Newport, by the way. Just yeah. throwing that out there. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Petty is... Uh, it's the first... He's the first in the top ten to make a green flag pit stop. He goes ahead and changes four tires, and now we've got a, a cycle of green flag pit stops here in the race. Jeff Bodine, uh, after he's made his first pit stop, is back into the pits, and he's smoking. I mean, I thought Joe Rutman had bad luck, and I mean, he kind of does, but I'm not really sure anybody's got worse luck than poor Jeff Bodine. He uh, he he hit it when he was coming into the pits. Did you notice the tire that he hit? Oh, good lord! He he hit that thing farther than an Alabama kicker could. He launched that tire about probably three hundred yards. It just it just disappeared when he hit it. Had to be, and I'm like, oh lord, we're going to see some emotion. He's going to be mad this oh, time. Oh yeah, you just think, man, he's mad. He just he didn't ran through that tire. He knows he's blowing up, and he is one not happy guy today. And then we'll, we'll but, get to that. Yeah. So he's being pushed to the garage area. Our running order after all of this chaos has happened with the pit stops and Bodine and some other guys had some pit stop issues. We have Tim Richmond, Waltrip, Ricky Rudd all of a sudden up to third. Elliot and Earnhardt are the top five. And now we have a clip with uh, Mr. Harry Hyde, who uh, we're going to get the first of several talks with Mr. Hyde here today. With Harry Hyde, Jim Richmond's crew chief. Hello, Chrissy. Hi, Mom. That'd be fine, Harry. You look like a happy guy. Well, right now, we're running about like we figured we would. We thought if nothing broke, that we'd run good here. Tim's very good, and uh, if there's no break, we're hoping to finish that where we're at now. Well, Tim was so loose before the race, laughing and teasing and having a great time, not a sign of any nerves. He plays in sack. Kind of like Liberace, you play the piano. Yeah. Indeed, but Waltrip, uh, he can play pretty well, too. Uh, Waltrip's a good a good man here, and if it comes down to the race between those two, uh, it's going to be tough. All right, good luck to you. Thank you. All right. All right. Speaking of uh, popcorn <laughs> Sutton, Andy, I mean, Harry Hyde's on the happy juice today. It's it's I've never seen him that positive. He He said, hi, Mom. And uh, he was just in a, a downright good mood. Well, you got to figure. I mean, if he did get into the happy juicy, you know, there's fighting liquor and there's, you know, sipping liquor. And he must have been on the sipping liquor because uh, old redneck throwing out a Liberace reference. I mean, come on. Yeah, I took a double take. when you, you, The last thing that I thought that I would uh, utter during this broadcast is Harry Hyde making... Um, a comparison between Tim Richmond and Liberace. See, Tim Richmond was bringing culture to the NASCAR sport. It's yeah, he he. Tim Richmond was just his own animal. But I mean, seriously, Harry Hyde. That was just uh, he was just upbeat. It's good to see Harry Hyde because he's usually you you you're just having to apologize to even ask him a question, and he acted like he would have talked for five more minutes. Yeah, he'd have probably kept talking right now. But yeah, last week he was not happy whatsoever. No. So uh, we've got 
Richmond and Waltrip are right together on the track, and uh, we've got Richmond lapping Willie T. Ribs, Andy. DW's prophecy has been fulfilled again. Yeah, and this is on a now. I mean, no, the the car was not any good, I'm sure. No, but Ribs, now you know that it hurt him, hurt his feelings a little bit at, at uh, was it Wilkesboro where he finally did make the debut and, and ran some. You know, it hurt his feelings to be lapped there several times, but to be lapped this early in a in a road course race where he is a road course hot shot, that had to knock him down a few more pegs. Yeah, well, it goes back to the NASCAR is a whole different animal from all the other racing sports. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I know he was he was in a car that was probably about as good as um, a nineteen eighty six Pontiac. Uh, no, no, I mean there was a couple of Pontiac. He he was in a car that uh, that wasn't that wasn't exactly up to snuff, so I'll give him a pass. But I'm sure he probably still wasn't happy being lapped this early in, in a NASCAR race. Then we get an in-car shot from Wallace, and just like every week we talk about him, man, the in-cars are so good. You can see, you can, he's looking around. Uh, the t- besides the turn, turning for 3,000 feet and being banked and everything, he's basically turning around in the car <laughs> looking behind him, and then he keeps looking down because he's something, you can tell something is, either got in the car and is about to attack him or something's on fire or something is giving him some issues inside that car. Well, you know my feelings on Rusty Wallace. I'm sorry, never have liked him, I did, even commentator, driver. But when the man is looking down at his transmission and looking up and still passing cars while he ain't even looking at them, you got to give him a little bit of credit. Yeah, <laughs> you got to think. You're, he's looking down. He's going around the curve. He's shifting. He's braking. He's at a road course, and he's passing people. Like, really? I mean, he he was putting on a show. Uh, but we find out later, what was it? it was, he was having a, did his um, gear shifter break? I, I can't remember. It was something with his transmission. He was leaking oil or something. They was afraid he was going to yeah, walk I, up on him. Yeah, I think he was having some problems maybe with the shifter also. I, for some reason, I remember that. But anyway, now Jeff Bodine has... Retired to the garage area, but uh, we we have another interview with uh, Mr. Bodine in the garage. Uh, any warning at all, Jeff? No, we just made our pit stop, and uh, I was going out of back straight away in high gear, and it just started to slow down, and I saw the trail of smoke, and that usually means a burnt piston. The engine still was running, but uh, I believe we broke or burnt a piston. No warning, no oil pressure, no heat or anything like that, just all of a sudden smoke. I was running great. I was having a lot of fun out there. Uh, Tim and I kind of pulled away from everybody. We had some problems on our pit stop. Got a little bit behind, but still early in the race. We had a lot of time to make it up. Car was working great. Everything was going good. Just a little old piston in there decided to quit working. Can't beat anybody out here with seven cylinders. No, we've had a lot of engine problems this year. It seems like... If we finish, we win. If we don't, it's a mechanical or engine problem. I don't know why, but uh, they, I mean the guys work hard. Everyone's doing their best. It's just uh, I guess it's our year to have all these problems. It goes the streak, doesn't it? It does, and it's it's on our back right now. We want to get that old monkey off our back and get back to winning some races. Well, we'll hope it happens soon. Thanks, Roddy. And you can bet that his crew chief, the very talented Gary Nelson, will get to the bottom of these problems quickly. All right, Andy. So another Bodine interview, and he just can't get he. The, I, he I would have loved to have been his PR guy. 
Because usually, you know, you're having to calm people down, trying to, now you can't say this word, pal, you can't say that word, for God's sakes, don't say this or don't say that, you need to say this. Jeff Bodine would walk out, he, he, you know, he could have just flipped over the guardrail and wiped out 12 cars in the parking lot. He'd be like, man, you know, I'm just thankful that I was, that I'm still here and, and for a good day and. The sun will still come out tomorrow. It's like you can't listen to Jeff Bodine and not just like him. Hey, yeah, because you know what? Number one, one thing you caught me. If you go back and look at this, they have a two before holding the hood up while they're working on the motor. Yeah, I mean, how much more NASCAR can you get? And two, you could shoot this man's dog, and he would say how wonderful the shot was placed. You cannot get him in a bad mood. I don't believe it. It's. He's like a Disney character. He's crazy. Yeah. Bodine was the original. He he was one of the original PR dreams for just people that you just say, oh, yes. This, I always thought like Daryl Waltrip was because, I mean, I was a Waltrip fan. And Daryl definitely knew what to say. But even Daryl would, you know, be in a bad mood sometimes. Tim Richmond, he would get a little crossed up sometimes. Jeff Bodine, every time you see him interviewed, he never puts a word wrong and he always puts himself in the best light no matter what's going on. Yeah. That's like right there. He as, as much trouble as they're having out of their engines, he could have buried his team. Oh, and he's yeah. like, oh well, you know, we're we're doing good. Everybody's working hard. Well, I know they're doing the best they can, and we'll we'll get the luck back around to it. I'm like, how can you do that? Yeah, and, and uh, we're not we don't talk about a lot of modern driving, and I'm not naming names, no NASCAR driver names. I'm not going to do that. But can you imagine some of the the high profile drivers in NASCAR blowing up that many times, what, how they would react. I mean, they would probably punch the reporter out by the time they've blown up five or six times this early in the year. Yeah. And then hide behind their crew members. Something like that, man. But Bodine was just, he's a, he's a joy. He's, he's like my biggest epiphany from 1986 is how much I love Jeff Bodine. Yeah, I guess I was just too young to realize how upbeat he was, or I guess I didn't really care. I was just watching the Wrangler car back then, but, you know. Yeah. So we've got Waltrip and um, Richmond, who are right together for the lead. And uh, Richmond, he's kind of all over the place right now. They think he may have a tire going down. They know something's not right with this car. Yeah, when you're getting loose going down the straightaway, you know it ain't good. Yeah, when you're when you're that sideways down the straightaway, you've got some issues. When your tires won't even hook up going straight, uh, Waltrip does get by him out of the last turn, and he starts to pull away some. We've got Bill Elliott and Labonte running together for fourth, and then Richmond comes into the pits the next lap or two. He's he's in the pits pretty quick, and they change the right side tires. Um, we we go to commercial. And we come back, and now Ricky Rudd's in the pits for a four-tire stop. And um, in Tim Richmond's pit, now we go to a clip with uh, Harry Hyde, who explains what was going on there with uh, with Richmond's car. Does that upset your pit strategy just a little bit? Well, we have to do it. Uh, Waldrop will have to pit pretty quick now. Our right rear car was gone. Uh, we didn't have anywhere left in it, so we had to pit. Originally to do it in three. This now means four. I we, we don't want to put on four as long as we're on the green. Uh, we're having to race Walter right now, and until he puts on four, we can't afford to. But I'm saying originally you'd hope to do the race in three stops. Now you may have to do four. Uh, we
show the complexion of the race as far as Harry Hyde's strategy has changed, and he faces yet another stop if he's going to bring Tim Richmond home a winner. That man in the white shirt is one of the greatest of all in this racing. That's Junior Johnson. He's bringing his number one man, Darrell Waltrip, in for a stop yet again under the green flag. Well, Junior has instructed the crew to put rubber on all four corners and, of course, the normal service work, gas, fuel, and repression for the driver. Now, the jack will swing around. Yeah, to the right-hand side of the car. Look at the style of the jack man as he swings right under that first. And Junior now just uh, barking orders if he needs to. But this crew appears to be awfully well drilled. Everybody gets on the radio and they can communicate with the boss, Junior Johnson. Let's go to Brock down in that pittery after a great stop. Um, first Harry Hyde talking about Richmond and er, you could tell something everybody's tires was going away the track was pretty abrasive and it was it was eating tires Andy yeah and something I noticed about DW's pit stop they had three guys across the wall with guns they had two on the left side changing the tires and they had another one on the right side taking them loose so I, I, I thought that was a strange strategy but heck it might have saved them a little bit of time could have. Did you see the the thing that I noticed was the jack man, how he slung that thing around when he was coming? you got to remember, those jacks back then were not light. And, I mean, he was coming with, with force and fire around that car. Yeah, I would not want to have been around there because it would have took out an ankle and probably removed the foot. Yeah. See, that's a that's thing I, people talk about the pit stops being so slow back in, you know, 20, 30 seconds, you know, at the best. But you got to remember, the jack man was having a jack for a good four or five seconds to get the car up high enough. Nowadays, two pumps and they're done. So you're saying now they're a two-pump chump and they used to jack it and jack it and jack it? Yeah, used to. They had to jack it a lot, but now they can just kind of poo. Huh. I know some people have that problem. If uh, Blue Chew would like to sponsor this show, they could reach out to us because that would be a perfect plug for uh, BlueChew.com. That's right. So we are... Where are we at? Uh, we've had, yes, the other interview. Now we've got Richard Petty and Rusty Wallace. They're having a good scrap. Petty holding him off for a minute. Then uh, Wallace does get by him down that long straightaway under the bridge. So our running order now, after some more pit stops and some other issues, we've got Terry Labonte, Harry Gant, Rusty Wallace. I mean, not Rusty Wallace twice, but I have him listed twice, so I don't. that would be kind of hard to do. So we have Rusty Wallace, Richard Petty. Uh, then we also have Waltrip, Ricky Rudd, Neil Bonnet, Bill Elliott, and Dell Earnhardt rounding out the top ten. We come back from a commercial break, and we're under a debris caution. I, now, we have a debris caution. It must have been, uh, I mean, it must have been debris. But I have seen twice in this race so far, cars off the track, not moving, just kind of beached. And there wasn't cautions for that. My whole thing was there's debris all over the track. I mean, it, yeah, it, the it, track it, was covered with the debris. Tr the track was debris. So, I mean, they could have threw the caution at any time. Yeah, I mean, the track was debris. That's perfect. That's the perfect. <laughs> when they threw the green flag to begin the race, the track was covered in debris. Yes. What are you talking about? I mean, even NASCAR 
I think back then from time to time said, okay, let's bunch it up and, and uh, bring it back. We, uh, we go back to green from this debris caution and Terry Labonte and Daryl Waltrip are one, two. Pretty much everybody has apparently pitted. This is one of the things it's kind of hard to tell exactly what was going on. We have Harry Gant and Richmond in third and fourth and they're pretty close to the two leaders. Uh, Richmond gets around Gant pretty quickly. We have Labonte running away from Waltrip and now we also have Richmond trying to track Waltrip down for second. Dale Earnhardt and Rusty Wallace are racing pretty hard for eighth about this time. We've got uh, Richmond blowing around Waltrip for second. He was on the move, Andy. Yes, he was climbing like a ladder. I mean, he was on a rail. It, you couldn't do no better than what he was doing right at this point. No, and it was weird because, I mean, Labonte had been pretty good too, but just, he was he kind of shot out of a cannon on that restart. I You had expected Waltrip to get around him pretty easy, but Labonte took off. Yeah, I don't know if he just hit the right hookup or if Walter's tires needed to warm up before he could start moving or what, but it wasn't good for him right here. Yeah, we've got uh, Rusty Wallace getting by Earnhardt, and then he tracks down Petty, and he passes him for sixth. Uh, after he caught after he caught Petty, he passes him pretty easily. We've got Waltrip to the pits, and a caution comes out. So the 11 sees it. Waltrip sees the caution coming out, and he ducks into the pits. Him and Harry Gant and a couple of other ones pit. And uh, somebody jumps into Waltrip's car with him, and so they do make a chassis adjustment. Like, what, 10 minutes after Junior Johnson said, we don't expect a chassis adjustment. Well, they they must have uh, had something happen in that 10-minute time span. And it's still, to me, going back and watching these, it's still weird to see the guy actually have to climb up in the car to do the chassis adjustment. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, we're just one shot away from the ride-along mechanics from back in the day. Just uh, just sit in there with me, and we'll, we'll adjust it as we go. We've got Dave Marcus in the Helen Ray Special who has crashed, and that has caused this particular caution flag. We now have... Richmond and Labonte into the pits, which puts Daryl Waltrip into the lead because Waltrip and Gant and some others pitted. And then now that they're officially under caution, Richmond, Labonte, and some others, uh, they all have to pit. And, and you can watch them. They're actually bump drafting going down pit road. It's definitely oh, a different time. Well, yeah, and you got to remember there's no pit road speed limit either. So they're bump drafting down pit road because... You know, it ain't like somebody's on the chip and you're trying to get every little inch out of it. You can go as fast as you want to go as long as you can get that car stopped in the pit box, which uh, we what well, that is a needed change down the road is when they did implement the pit road speed limits because, my God, that's that's just insanity. And uh, so now, after with all this going on, we get a clip from uh, Bud Moore. Up to the race car driver Up Ricky looks like he's got plenty of power down the straight. Yeah, we're running off a curve. We're a little bit slow coming off of turn eight. All right. You heard Bud Moore say it. 15 laps left here at Riverside. It's up to the driver. The green will come out, and they'll race for the second flag. So Bud Moore has a... Uh crewing for Ricky Rudd. I'm, I think I mostly put that clip in for the music. Yeah. That brought it That brought it back. That that old, tun, tun, you know, it just made you think of those races back then. It puts you right in 1986. I don't know. It made me think of Chef from South Park. Oh, yes. It, yes. Tonight is a night for love. Oh, sorry. Go, go yeah, back. Let's, let's not sing. 
on this show. <laughs> Not that I can sing any better. Let's just, me and you, neither one need to do that. Um, so out of the break here, we've got racing all over the place. We've got Richmond. He blows by everybody. He moves back into third behind Waltrip and and uh, Ricky Rudd. Richmond is about two seconds back, but man, he is moving on up. So now we uh, we have another clip of the race, and uh, Steve is a smart man. Be like Steve. Of course, in second spot is Ricky Rudd. And now, let's go to Steve in the Richmond pit area. Well, I'm not about to bother that man, Harry Hyde, as this driver, Tim Richmond, continues to catch Joe Waldrop. In fact, I won't even tell Harry that he, personally, is $1,000 richer. He has just named, been named the TRW Mechanic of the Race. An extra $1,000 little walking around money for Harry Hyde. He wants a lot more than that, and he hopes Tim Richmond can give it to him in the next few laps. Well, the watches in Harry Hyde's hand are telling him the story. Richmond is turning some very quick laps out there. So there we have it. I mean, this is a guy that knows what he's doing, Andy. He's been around a day or two, and he's not going to bother Harry Hyde right at this moment. Yeah, it, it's kind of like with a dog. If you walk up to a dog and he's wagging his tail, yeah, go pet him, talk to him. But if he's done got the tail down and the ears folded back, best to walk away, make it mean, no eye contact, just go away. Yeah, yeah. So Steve, Steve has the right idea. I'm going to stand here in Harry Hyde's pit. You can make the... You can put the camera on him, and I'll talk about him. But by God, I ain't asking him anything right now. Yes, there is going to be no communication with me and him unless he talks to me first. Exactly. So we have Richmond muscles by uh, by uh, Ricky Rudd for second. And just almost instantly, he's caught Waltrip. And they're both dropping their tires off the track, kicking up dust. Andy, they are really giving it a go. They wanted this win bad. Yeah, and both of them really needed it. Um, Richmond hadn't won a race in a long time, several years. And Waltrip, he uh, he hadn't won a race in 86 yet at this point either, had, had he? I, I don't think he had, but I'm sure we'll find out later on if he had. Yeah, yeah. So, but either way, they were both in a position. They needed the win. They needed the momentum because the year hadn't been up to their standards yet. Right. So Richmond, he ducks out at the bridge and gets by Waltrip without any problem. And you thought, that's it. It's over. I mean, Richmond had the best car all day. He gets by Waltrip. Waltrip couldn't put up much of a fight. So three laps to go. They're pretty well right together, but they're both still driving hard. I thought Richmond was going to drive away. And I was really surprised to see Waltrip kind of stay within striking distance there, Andy, with a couple, two laps to go. Well, yeah, of course, when you see somebody make up that much distance that quick, you're like, well, he's done. He's going to run off and leave him. And then it was like Waltrip found another gear. Yeah, well, we find out, we'll find out later that a lot of it could have had to do with tires. But right now, we'll just let this uh, last clip here, uh, going towards the finish, uh, give it the, give you the rundown on what was going on because there was a lot happens here in a very, very short amount of time. Cutting it off a little bit. Remember the last lap we saw, uh, Richmond and Waltrip entered turn number six, bumper to bumper. But now it looks as if Richmond has opened up a little bit. But the last car coming up, that could play a role in the next couple of weeks. Look at this. Big problems in turn number nine. It is J.D. McDuffie, Harry Gibb, and Michael Waltrip. And oh, Lord. Turn number one, Gary Labonte has driven through a concrete wall. We'll get back to that in a moment, but let's 
not forget that caution will come out, but the leaders will race to the flag. So down the back straightaway they come. It's still a race for these guys. There is Darrell Walker's wife, Stevie, very concerned. They're going to come around turn nine and race to the flag. Let's see what happens. It is Tim Lipson with the advantage. Darrell Walker, this race will undoubtedly finish under yellow. So this is the last lap. God, there it is. It so we have a pretty big crash in turn nine, and then the Terry Labonte went through a guardrail. Yes, you heard that right. He or went through, no, no, through. no, not a car, no, not a guardrail. I'm a sorry, concrete wall. Yes, let's correct that. He went through a concrete wall. He pulled a Kool Aid man. If he'd had a red shirt on, they'd have been children waiting on him. I mean. It was it was chaos because they have a big wreck over here, and you've got Waltrip and Richmond right together, and you think, well, the caution's coming out. This is the end of the race. Oh, by the way, here's Terry Labonte for some reason in the first turn, who has went through a concrete wall. So this is definitely the end of the race, and then you have a photo finish. So, and it wasn't just. <laughs> I mean, they didn't lean on each other. They didn't hit each other. It was really clean. But my God, it was a heck of a finish. And, and that's something I think we forget about over time is like DW. He he's mostly known for being a fairly cool-headed driver. I mean, he don't get real bad unless somebody just punts him into the wall. But here he is going all out. I mean, he's letting dirt fly. He I don't think anybody could have held him back on this one. No, and he he made the right move. I mean, Rich, you've got to remember, as good as Richmond was, he still wasn't a veteran in NASCAR. Waltrip let him go in low and protect that line, and he dropped the tire a little bit. Waltrip went in a little wide because he knew Richmond couldn't hold that line on the inside if he was trying to go that fast. So Richmond kind of washed up the track out of the last turn, and Waltrip was able to get under him. I mean, heads-up move, and commendable for richmond because honestly if it was me i'd have just turned right into waltrip and seen what happened i mean one of us would have won one of us would have crashed it wouldn't have mattered I, we, but we wouldn't have just drag raced we would have probably had a dust up no we'd have had to do something like the ricky you know ricky bobby or something because both of us would have went into the wall or the dirt yes but richmond he, he gave waltrip room you got to give him credit for that and uh, it was a it was just one heck of a finish and honestly, so far in 1986, I mean, it's hard to beat the Richmond finish with Waltrip and Earnhardt and all when all hell breaks loose and Kyle Petty from wherever he was at, sixth, eighth position, wins that race. I mean, this one was not as crazy, 
but uh, probably, I mean, a better finish because it was clean and it was side by side. It was a great race overall. Oh, I mean, the whole race was fun to watch. This was just a, a good race to watch. So we will uh, now go to uh, the victory lane and the post-race interviews for this race here at Riverside. And a fantastic last lap move. Daryl, first of all, congratulations. Oh, thank you very much, Brock. Uh, the good Lord was just riding with me on that last lap, because uh, that was on a wing and a prayer. I just took it in there, and I made it. Well, uh, Tim seemed to have it on you. He moved by you fairly easily. Did you think you could run him down? Well, it had been going uh, a deal where they were better on new tires, but as they, as they would run along, I'd get better. And uh, that was what was happening. He was starting to get a little looser and a little looser, and I was getting a little faster and a little faster. So it played just right. The laps were perfect. You saw your brother against the wall. That had to jar your uh, concentration a little bit coming off the last corner. That, yeah. uh, you know, he's all right. And uh, But the caution, how did you make the move on Tim? Did, was it just a falter on his part, or did you just stand on it and hope? He did a great job. Uh, just went to the outside. Thought I might be able to get along the side of him as we come into turn uh, nine down there. Got a good long side of him, but he was starting to wash out, so I just turned my car underneath of him, was able to get underneath of him. No contact, just a nice clean move and won the race. It was just a great win for us. Well, it was a fantastic a, afternoon. And we just thank the Lord for it. What a beautiful weekend. A pole and a track record and a win. I don't know what else you could ask for. Couldn't get any better than that. Congratulations. Yes, sir. Qualifies us for a lot of great things. Great. Congratulations. And now let's go to see with Tim Richmond. Well, I'm going to echo the words of your crew chief, Harry Hyde. He said that Tim Richmond plays Riverside like Liberace plays the piano. A magnificent drive. I know what Kogan feels like now. This wasn't India, I can guarantee you that. And you know what? If you hadn't made that extra stop, if, if, if. Well, we had, to, we had a good enough car to beat him no matter what the stop. So we had to, you know, we had to use the car up a lot because starting behind to run up to him and then try to get by him. Uh, but then again, we still had the car to win. It just... I'm a, I'm a bridesmaid, I guess. I, it, it Thanks sucks, again. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, first Charlotte and now Riverside, Tim Richmond has to settle for second place. Well, part of the reason for that yellow flag was a vicious crash on the part of the number 44 car driven by Terry Labonte. Brock right now is with Terry. Well, Terry, the first words that Darrell Walter uttered when he got out, stopped in victory lane was, how's Terry? And fortunately, we're able to say he's okay, but you got to be a little shaken up. Well, you know, uh, I don't really know what happened. Uh, I'm fortunate that the car was uh, sturdy enough to hold up to an accident like that. Uh, it just, just took a, a right turn right in the middle of turn one, huh? I don't know what happened. Uh, we went through the corner there, and the car wouldn't turn. I don't know if I cut a tire or if something in the suspension broke. Uh, I just couldn't stop. Now, we're awful sorry it happened, but thank God you're all right. Thank you. Indeed, he is just fine. Darrell Waltrip, in dramatic fashion, wins the Budweiser 400, followed by Tim Richmond, Ricky Rudd, Rusty Wallace, and Dale Earnhardt. Rounding out the top ten, Richard Petty finishes in sixth. Bobby Allison works his way up into the seventh. Neil Bonnet in eighth, Harry Gant ninth, and Glenn Stewart started way back in 22nd, finishes in the tenth spot. And now Steve is with our fourth-place finisher, Rusty Wallace. Well, you're the man that really knows, but from our vantage point, it looked like you were awful loose. Maybe the tires were just about gone. Well, uh, I just misunderstood it just a little bit, but we brought it home a fourth place, and the guys did a great job on the pit stops and everything. And, you know, as tired as we are in the point race, the, uh, you know, that blue max out guard Pontiac runs well again today. They run flawlessly, you know. It's just, I just got to get some more experience on this road course and be able to tell the crew chiefs, you know, what needs to happen. And uh, I've been missing a little bit here and there, but, you know, we're learning as I go, and uh, it was a good run. I'm 
happy with it. I had a cool suit on, the thing ran out of ice, and about couldn't. <laughs> Those things are worse when they're not working, I'll tell you. Well, congratulations on a good drive. Thank you very much. And there you have it, the first uh, four drivers. I mean, Walter kind of echoes what we said there. And, and Richmond, um, he's, he knows what Kevin Kogan feels like because uh, he got snookered at the end of the Indianapolis 500, which actually, I'm an idiot because I don't know why I didn't realize this. It didn't just get rained out on Sunday. It got rained out on Monday. They ran it the next Saturday. So I think they ran that the day before um, we race here at Riverside. So the Indy 500 was actually postponed a week. But um, Richmond does come home second. Uh, Labonte, they finally let him get interviewed for more than five (laughs) seconds, Andy. And then we find out why he doesn't get interviewed for more than five seconds. Because they're trying to get some sort of insight. And all I can think of is Bob Euchre and then the poor dude in Major League. Dynamite drop in, Terry. For the love of God. No, Terry is the orator of our time. He says so much with so little. No, I mean, he. what are you going to say? I mean, we're just, kid, we're just kidding. He, he, didn't know, he, did, he didn't know what happened. And they're trying to get some sort of, you know, glean into why he went through a concrete wall. And he's just like, I don't know what happened. But after watching this race, I, the only thing I could think of was... Can you imagine if they used the point system they got now and Riverside was the final race? Oh, my God. And Riverside used to be the last race. Yeah, and, you know, it's the championship race. I mean, come on. That would be awesome. Yeah, it it would be. Let's let's just redesign. I mean, we've got the technology. We can build it better, stronger. Yeah, we can build Riverside again. You can build elevation into a track. You can move dirt. Let's just build another Riverside and, and call that the last race of the year, and I'll be happy. Amy. All right. So um, the post-race awards for Riverside. Um, Andy, who was your driver of the race? It, it had to be DW. He set that up at the end just perfect. It was close between him and Richmond, but when you win the race, you get the rewards. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I, is, I mean and I'm a Walter fan. I'm almost not wanting to give it to him and give it to Richmond because – Richmond ran so well, but I mean, Walter did set the track record, new track record, started on the pole, and he figured out how to make it happen at the end of the race. He passed Richmond, who I thought had the best car out of the last turn, so I'll, I'll have to give it to Walter, too. What was um, what was the biggest critical moment of the race, Andy? I don't know if you could call it a moment, but pretty much the entire last lap that they were racing, you've got everything going haywire. They don't have enough cameras to cover it all. No, you've got... You've got two crashes. I mean, and both of them were pretty big, and Labonte's was really big. And then you've got Waltrip and Richmond trying to race through all of that carnage. And you don't know, I mean, you don't know if those cars are going to be out of the way in turn nine. Because they were wrecked right in the middle of the track. Luckily, they weren't there when they got back. But if they was, I don't think they would have slowed down any because they knew that was the end of the race. So, yeah, that was a... That was a big moment of the race. We call that foreshadowing. Yes, sir. So what was the thing that surprised you the most about this race? How hard they raced the entire race. I mean, they were fighting tooth and nail for every inch of real estate the entire day. It was crazy. They were doing dirt passes on lap two, let alone the final lap. Yeah, and, and I mean, in our notes, we try to abbreviate it as much as we can so we don't bore you just talking the whole time about the little nuances of the race. But throughout the entire race, there was just, there was cars fighting for position all the time. They may not have always been racing for the lead, but there was always a race. And it wasn't like they were just riding around and letting each other go. 
I mean, Wallace and um, Petty had a good race. Allison was back and forth a lot. Earnhardt was going back and forth through the field. Uh, Ricky Rudd was up and down. Harry Gant was up and down. So it's like a lot of these guys were they they moved all over the the running order in this race. Who would you give your Goodies Headache Award to? This was a toss up because I I really wasn't for sure, but with the overall for the whole season, I had to give it to Bodine. Just for the, I don't know if you call it headache or heartache, but the poor guy can't catch a break. No, I mean, another blown engine and, and a good outlook. I'm going to get, I have to give it to Terry Labonte, though. I mean, anybody that goes through a damn concrete wall, <laughs> he's probably going to have a headache after this is all over with. Um, what well, race rating, Andy, this one, zero to 100. What would you rate this race? I had to give this a 95. I wanted to go higher, but I wanted to give it enough room in case there's something better. I, I don't foresee that happening, but this has to be the best race I've seen in years. It was a great race. I mean, they had a couple of lulls, but nothing nothing big. There was racing the entire race through the field. You had an awesome finish. I'll go 95 also. I mean, it was a great race. Um, entertainment factor. <laughs> oh, 97. I don't think the entertainment's going to get any better between, the, especially the last lap. I mean, you have great racing all day, and then the last lap, everything blows up. It It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, your 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 entertainment factor's got to be right up there on this race. I'll give it like a 96, 97 also. It's, it was definitely, if you go out of your way to watch this race, if you're listening to this, go to YouTube, take the time, watch this race. You won't regret it. It's definitely, definitely a, a race uh, worth watching. So that will conclude the Riverside portion of our broadcast, and we'll kick off this Riverside portion of the broadcast with an article from the Morning Call, Allentown, Pennsylvania, Saturday, June the 7th, 1986. The article title, Good Old Boys Provide Magnetism, by Don Bostrom of the Morning Call. The good old boys of the Winston Cup Series are back in town to race in the Miller High Life 500 at Pocono International Speedway tomorrow. We hear a lot about them during their annual visits north, but what exactly is a good old boy? It's easy for a Yankee to speculate. Why, a good old boy has always has a pinch between his cheeks and gum, right? And a good old boy must come from the town right next to Mayberry. In fact, Sheriff Andy probably pulled our heroes over a few times in their younger, wilder days for speeding. Andy then probably told them to be more careful and let them go. A good old boy has probably seen every episode of the Dukes of Hazard and has a wife or girlfriend that likes Lil Abner's Daisy May. Good old boys probably drive their Chevys to the levee while drinking whiskey and rye, singing bye-bye American Pie. A good old boy probably sit around and chew the fat, still trying to figure out what Billy Joe McAllister threw off the Tallahatchie Bridge. A good old boy eats nothing but Kentucky Fried Chicken and Grits and washes it all down with the beer that sponsors his car. A few Yankees are fair about things. So we put some of the good old boys on the stand to speak their piece in describing themselves. Let's start at the top with the king, Richard Petty. What is the definition of a good old boy, he wondered. I really don't know what the deal is, rednecks or whatever. This is a situation that got started a long time ago. 
I think everyone looks at the people from North Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia as half-rednecks. So instead of calling them rednecks, they call them good old boys. But good old boys are basically more down-to-earth people, Petty added. We live and let live as best they can. If the other cat wins, it's just we'll get them next week. We don't carry grudges, and we get we get time for everybody. Most of all, we've got time to enjoy what we're doing as we go along, Petty preached. It's not a deal where they upright all the t- uptight all the time. Talk to any of the boys after the race, and they may be uptight for five minutes. Then the first thing you know, they're spilling the beans as you're telling them everything that they knew. That's where the good times really start, and I guess that's where its saying comes from. Bobby Allison comes from the Deep South. He is a good old boy institution. A good old boy is somebody who has become successful but still has a friend, everyone he meets along the way. It's not as natural for a northerner to be friendly, Allison said, because they're more hustle and bustle in the society and we have that we have, and it's a little bit more wary society. Most of the good old boys that are truly the good old boys have come from a community where the people are totally friendly without interfering whatsoever in anyone else's activity. They are aware of what is going on and are happy for the other guy and willing to walk up the corner and talk. There have always been good old boys, Allison said, and not all of the competitors are good old boys. A good old boy will retain the dignity in his profession. He will consider other people even when times are tough and not going right for yourself. There's a code. You can be a good old boy even when you're a fuzzy-cheeked 22-year-old like Bobby Hillen Jr. who celebrated his birthday on Thursday. Once you get past 13, birthdays are no big deal anyhow, Hillen said. That explains how you can be a good old boy quicker in the South. A good old boy is somebody who works hard all his life, Hillen suggested. It's also someone who is clean living and will stick right by you whether you are racing a car or doing business. A good old boy is always straightforward with you and treats everyone with respect. Can anyone be a good old boy? Yeah, Allison said, but it's easier to start with a southern boy. But it's not impossible to make a good old boy out of a northern boy. Jeff Bodine of New York and Ron Bouchard of Massachusetts are the only northern borns trying to do the impossible. A good old boy is generally someone who was born and raised in the south and has always been in the South, Bodine said. He has a nice deep tan and an accent that you can hardly understand, and he drives race cars. Me? I think I'll always be a Yankee, Bodine admitted, when I tell everybody that we're all Americans, so it doesn't matter where we're born. This is a great country, and we're all able to do just about whatever we want. I was a northerner that wanted to be in a good old boy sport. I went in after it, and here I am. That's what's great about this country. If you want to do something bad enough, you can go out there and do it. Even though Bodine has been a regular on the Winston Cup Series for some time, he doubts he'll ever be an official good old boy. I'll never be considered a good old boy. I don't have an accent. I don't have the looks. I just don't have what it takes to be a good old boy. But the New York intruder insists he has been welcomed by the Brotherhood of Good Old Boys. My wife, Cassie, which that is incorrect. We know it's Kathy because Chris Economaki. And I felt we were accepted right away by everyone. Everyone was very friendly to us right from the beginning, Bodine noted. 
and we didn't expect some resentment or some harsh treatment being outsiders coming into their sport. But we didn't find that at all, and we appreciate that. We want to thank everyone for accepting us the way that they have. Bodine says that the warm sentiments also spill over to the fans. There are no Jeff Bodine voodoo dolls or crash kits being sold to tracks like at Charlotte or Talladega. Bodine says, if anything, we were kind of the villain up in the Northeast because we won a lot of races. They enjoyed our performance, but they were tired of seeing me win. So I moved south and stayed running the late model circuit, and fans liked us. They liked seeing a new guy come in and run good with their good old boys. We put on a good show of hard, clean racing for them, and the fans respected it. We gained quite a following rather quickly, and that was another surprise for Cassie and I. Bodine, who had won four poles this season, considers Pocono special since he was around to run when the place first opened. I like it because I go back a long ways with this track. I ran in the first USAC race here. I was the first modified driver to go around the two-and-a-half-mile track, and I've won on the big tra- a race on the big track in a modified. The only thing I haven't done is win a race here in a Winston Cup car. We came close last year, leading until the 185th lap before yielding to Bill Elliott, so we're back here to get a little revenge this time. It's a compromise to get around the course here, he explained. You have three different straights and three different corners, so you have to set up your car so it will run fairly well all the way around. There. Maybe the good old boys did come from towns like Mayberry. Maybe they did watch the Dukes. But they also are warm, charming, friendly, and sincere. It might not hurt to have them visit these parts more often. Some of that good old boy magnetism might start to rub off. Andy. Yes? That's a, that was a mouthful. I, I was just sitting here checking off marks. Like, yeah, Dukes of Hazard, yeah. Abner's Daisy, yeah, okay. Andy Griffith, yeah. Yeah, Pink, you know. I I used to have pinks between with cheating gum, but we've got smarter about that over the years. You know, a lot of that stuff, yeah, it, it marked it off. It, I kind of still get a, like, when I read this article, even though they try to come around and say, oh, we could all be around, you know, get learn something from the good old boys, it's still wrote by some northern guy up in, by name Don Bostrom of the Morning Call, and this is from the Allentown, Pennsylvania newspaper. This is probably something that he was assigned and he's like, I have to write about NASCAR. They're making me write about NASCAR. They know the sport of kings is Formula One racing. Nigel Mansell, Emerson Fittipaldi, those guys, AJ Foyt, my God, even Indy cars. We've got Mario Andretti and AJ Foyt. That's racing royalty. They want me to write about some dumb son of a bitch named Dale Earnhardt. And the bad part is all the good old boys couldn't give one damn what he had to say about it because we know who we like. We know who we are. We tip our hats. We take our hats off to ladies. We open the doors. We let them go in first. And that's the way we're raised, and that's the way we'll always be. So stick it. Yeah, but it's serious. In all seriousness, <laughs> we, uh, you know, we know we've got plenty of uh, friends. Uh, I've got friends from all over, and I know some guys that are nicer than anybody that lives up in Minnesota and Wisconsin. It just you never know. It's, and, <laughs> but yes, as a general rule, they the good old Southern boys is a thing. And even in this article, I mean, this guy's making fun of the Southern boys. He wouldn't even acknowledge Alabama. Well, you got to figure, even in the South, we don't like to acknowledge Alabama because everybody thinks about Kentucky for, never mind, I'm I'm not going to go there. 
Yeah, let's uh, let's keep off of that one. Just they like cousins. Yeah, we we do in West Virginia also. So, but um, we 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 who live in the glass house cannot throw stones. Well, that's why we have Ernest T. Bass. He throws them for us. Yeah, I mean, if they'd like to get into Andy Griffith trivia, we would. We we probably could uh, probably put up a fight anyway. Amen. All right, so I have this labeled Dover Race. Obviously, this is the Pocono Race. And uh, my God, Andy, who won the pony? <laughs> Bodine we, done it again. We have Bodine on the pole again. Benny Parsons is in second, and then we've got Tim Richmond. Harry Gant, Neil Bonnet, Terry Labonte, Rusty Wallace, Dell Earnhardt, Daryl Waltrip, and Kel Yarborough um, back on the circuit this week and uh, starting in 10th. And uh, just like, I mean, if the sun rises tomorrow and there's a NASCAR race in Pocono, by God, there's going to be rain in the area. I don't care if we're in the middle of a 10-year drought. If you throw a race at NASCAR in Pocono, there is going to be rain somewhere nearby the track. It's about like having the spring race at Bristol. You know there's going to be some form of precipitation coming around. Oh, good Lord. So we get the race right off to a fast start. Bodine jumps to the lead. Richmond in second. We have Bodine who leads lap one, and uh, the top 10 kind of File into a single file order pretty quick. Uh, you see the effect of the draft at Pocono. It, it's big time. We have Benny Parsons jumping inside of, of Richmond, and he gets by for second. And then Richmond pinches off uh, Neil Bonnet and hangs on to third. That was about a big. That was about big right there because Bonnet stuck it in, but he he backed off to give Richmond uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of leeway. Yes, it was a little bit of leeway, but it didn't do no good. It did, it did not do him any good because our first clip of this race is some uh, trials and tribulations for those Kentucky Fried Eating Budweiser mouth breathing race car drivers. Down the straightaway, he has Dale Earnhardt in his draft. Earnhardt wins the cup point lead. Oh, Earnhardt gets into the back of Neil Bonnet, and Bonnet's going for a ride. Slides up the racetrack, and his teammate, Daryl Waltrip, piles in. And quickly, both of Junior Johnson's cars have suffered heavy damage down in turn one. Neil Vaughn's car now sits crippled on the outside of the, of the track down in turn one. The front end heavily damaged. Bonnet now trying to get the car rolled out off the banking. It looked like possibly Waltrip was going to try to avoid him on the outside, but Bonnet's car came up across the track and tagged Waltrip. We'll get a chance to see it in replay as Bonnet drives away. Now, Waltrip is already halfway around the track. Hard to tell if there was contact between Earnhardt and Bonnet, but Bonnet and his teammate definitely get together. Neil Bonnet's made his way to pit road. So big deal early, Andy Earnhardt gets into the back of Bonnet, and we have both of the Junior Johnson cars crashing. And Waltrip had gained a lot of points back on Earnhardt and was trying to make a run, just won the race the week before. I know it's early in the season, but this this is like a big turning point in just Waltrip's hopes for the for the NASCAR championship to go out this early in the race. Oh, most you know it had to hurt the team to be go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows in one week's time. Yeah, and, and Bonnet spins out. There's nowhere for Waltrip to go, and he just plows into him. And and uh, both of the Junior Johnson cars, are just they're out early here, just a couple of laps into the to the Pocono race. So we, we, we've got Waltrip's team in the pits. They're trying to replace the radiator, but it's 
you could tell his car is junked. There was nothing that he was going to be able to do for that. Yeah, when you got the radiator brackets pumped up against the motor and everything all twisted, you can't beat that out with a sledgehammer. No. So we're back to green flag racing. We've got Bodine. Um, then we have Benny Parsons, Tim Richmond, Terry Labonte, the top four. And uh, we have Labonte sneaking by Richmond into turn one. Morgan Shepard loses it out of turn one. And quickly, we have our second clip of the race. And it looks like Vinny Parsons trying to reel in uh, Jeff Bodine. Bodine won a couple of times in Pocono in the modified race, but has yet to pick up a Winston Cup win here. Oh, trouble as Morgan Shepard gets sideways, and Terry Labonte puts his car sideways as well. There, sliding to avoid them, he is Rusty Wallace. And there you have it. Uh, not it wasn't a big wreck, but it did take out a couple of pretty fast cars. It, Morgan just kind of lost it, and Labonte and uh, just casualty of circumstances there. And it was kind of funny to watch them play the hokey pokey <laughs> down there in the infield. I mean, you go, I go, right foot, left foot, you know, clutch it, go. It almost reminds me of uh, going to a racetrack and having those attendants uh, try to park you when the racetrack's full and you're like, no, you need to back in over here. You need to pull up. You need to get, won't you park on top of that damn boulder over there and we'll just be done. Yeah. Pull it right in here, dude. I'm in a pickup. It'll fit. Yeah. But I won't be able to open my doors. Yeah. <laughs> Cut a hole in the top of it and quit complaining. Yeah. You, you're a redneck. You can do like a Duke's hazard. Climb out the window. So we have the wreck there. Uh, Labonte into the pits. He's got some right rear damage. They push Waltrip. Um, into the garage, and uh, pretty quick right after that, we get an interview there with uh, Daryl Walter. Daryl, tough day. It looks like the motor is gone. Yeah, yeah, the wreck, I guess, had something to do with it. I don't know. Looked like it, uh, Neil and Dale got together down there and uh, spun Neil, and I got lost in the smoke, and I couldn't see where anybody was, and I ended up hitting Neil pretty good. And uh, then I come in here, and we were working on it. I thought we were going to be all right, some laps down, but... Uh, the engine blew, so uh, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Walter Coates is catching Dale Earnhardt in the battle for the midpoint payoff in the Winston Cup point standing. Has come up very short here today. He's yeah, Andy there, uh, Walter interviewed, and like I said, you know, he's always the diplomat and the one you think, hey, but you, he was mad. You could tell he's mad. He wasn't happy. He did. And, but this is around the time of when I'm pretty sure he's already sure that he's leaving Junior Johnson and this is just another part of the part of the puzzle here, because the way he made it sound is he thought the, you know, that may not have damaged the engine enough to make it blow. That something else might have been going on anyway. Yeah, I mean, you could tell that you could hear the disappointment, and you know, I guess the wreck had something to do with it. I mean, that's not something you'd usually hear from him. He would he would know for sure before he'd say something. I mean, even if you didn't like him, you gotta give him that much. Yeah, so we've got that. Um, we go back to green, and Chet Phillips spins into the wet grass in turn one. I don't have that clip, but my God, he th that car, it picked up 30 miles an hour going through that grass, and it was throwing, it looked like a waterfall. 
and you know that Earnhardt and Richmond had to be looking at that going, we can gain some speed right there if we can just hang <laughs> on to it. Yeah, if we could turn it down and then just catch it in such a way that the car would catch, we've got some acceleration down there in the grass in turn one. Uh, and we'll find out later in the race that uh, somebody else thought that too, unfortunately. Uh, everybody's in the pits from the, this yellow. No idea where the race is. This race jumps around really bad, and I you can't tell what's going on. They don't give you lap counters. You don't really have any idea exactly what's happening. So the best we can do is just go with what they got. Mike Joy says that rain is imminent in Pocono as like the sun's going to rise. Well, you got to figure he had to know that it was coming because he had to stay two miles away from the track. I mean, you know, the restraining order now. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't actually at the track. Um, <laughs> he was, he was over the hill there and he, he was already catching some more raindrops. Uh, back to green flag racing and, and his best friend, Ricky Rudd's leading. Uh, we have the 22 and second. He's trying to run him down. Bobby Allison having a good run here early. We've got a, in the pack, just a gaggle of cars, Jeff Bodine and Harry Gant trying to work their way back up to the front. We've got, uh, Tim Richmond who gets by Allison and, um, then we get, uh, Jeff Bodine gets the door slammed on him trying to get under Allison. Ricky Rudd tries to block down the front stretch, but um, uh, Richmond's just too much and gets by him for the lead. I mean, there's no way when your car's not no faster. Uh, Richmond had such a run. You can try to block all you want to, but that Pocono's front stretch is about 26 lanes wide. 26 lanes wide and about three miles long, it seems, sometimes. Yeah, and the front stretch of Pocono is no joke. So, well, we finally get it here. A yellow flag for rain uh, just before halfway. And they're running around the track in full wet to get to the halfway point, Andy. They don't show. I wish this that we had a little more of this race because I swear to God, I'm not kidding. They were running around this track. There was almost zero visibility. I mean, it was not just like a rain shower. This was a monsoon. For a moment, you know, Noah was riding around in third place. He was. Um, and, and, but we find out during the, cause they're trying, there was so close to halfway. So NASCAR was probably thinking if we, if we can't get this dried out, we're not coming back tomorrow. We're going to run in just full rain for as many laps as it takes to get to halfway. And they did. And Bobby Allison crashed. Yes. I was what I fixed to say. There were people actually drifting and sliding down the track because they were in the rain. And it, you can't, this is just like hurricane type rain. Oh yeah. And I mean, we don't see the Allison crash, but I can only imagine he was not happy with any of this. I mean, you get, you're, they're making you ride around under cautions to get to halfway. So they might not have to come back tomorrow. And you get crashed out of the race because you're riding around in the rain. I would hate it to have been the first NASCAR official he saw. Oh, yeah. We think Harry Hyde's bad. <laughs> if you Catch Bobby Allison on this day after that happened. He I, don't care to whoop a man's ass. No. We, uh, we're in this rain delay here at some point, and We're really skipping around. Um, the broadcast is actually skipping around. And we've got Gary Nelson, who, uh, who gives us an interview here during this rain delay tense at a moment like this as we await the rain out but gary nelson has snuck into one of the lounges and he's going to have a little lunch but gary we're wondering what's the story with the smoke coming off jeff bodine's car well they got real close there um a couple laps before that caution came out uh jeff and tim and dale earnhardt were racing hey all of them we you know i'm sure harry hyde and uh, richard childress were telling their drivers just like i was that 
you got to be in front because if this thing rains out, it, you know, lap 200 is the halfway point. So they were all trying for the lead. Uh, Tim slid up a little high when he was passing that lap car. Jeff dove in between there, and then the door, the hole kind of closed up. Jeff said he got hit on both sides. So the left front tire started rubbing the fender, and just then it started to rain, and, and uh, we stayed out there. We're the leader at the moment. If it clears up and we have to um, restart, we plan on changing four tires anyway, and uh, we'll take a hammer and knock that fender back out. So Gary Nelson there interviewed in the garage, Andy, and um, if lap 200 is halfway, we're still not done with this race. No, not even close. And Bodine, I mean, once again, bless his heart. I just got hit on both sides, you know, no yeah. big deal. Yeah, Motor's still running this time. You know. Yeah, we, we still got the motor under it, so we should be okay. But my gosh, yeah, another it gets hit on both sides of the car, just squeezed down. I mean, what else can happen? to? I mean, I w- I'm really surprised he's not the one that wrecked under caution. <laughs> With all this going on, so he was the first one, Pablo. He was, he was. He just didn't hit. No, there was no jet dryers to hit at that point. Um, so the track does dry out though, amazingly, and uh, I don't know how long it took. We don't know. I mean, it, it, without the the rain, without the uh, dryers that we have now, and as hard as it rained, it had to be a couple hours at least. Well, dried out is a uh, speculative term on that one, sir. Well. The racing groove itself was mostly gray. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll go with that. Yeah. Because if you saw the pit road entrance, no, that's the thing. My God, the pit road entrance, like it was still wet, and I'm not talking about like damp. I'm talking about there was water standing two or three feet into the entrance of pit road. So if you hit it, if you was coming into the, and imagine coming into the pits. At Pocono, when you're when you're really going fast anyway, no pit road speed limits, and you've got a puddle of water that's two feet off the ground. I'm not kidding. Could you imagine try, Could you imagine be standing on pit road, waiting on your car to come down, knowing that it's coming balls out, and there is nothing that's going to slow it down? And oh, by the way, there's two feet of water that it's going to drive through right before it gets to you. Yeah, as if they don't have a hard enough time trying to stop as it is. Yeah. Then they've got these little newspaper boats floating through it. There's a clown over in the corner trying to lure children. It's awful. Uh, we've got uh, Mr. Burchwell. Eddie Burchwell goes into the grass. He throws up a lot of water. He comes across the track and just slams into the wall. That could have been, I mean, it was big enough, but that could have been really big. Good news. Yeah, he didn't even slow down. Like I say, uh-huh. I believe if they could figure out a way to keep control of it, they'd have went through the they, grass to pick up speed. They would have been picking up speed. Back to green flag racing at some point. We don't really know. We've got Dale Earnhardt now in the lead. Richmond. And Bobby Hillen Jr. leading the pack. Um, and we uh, we go to another clip. Harry Hyde this time, and he's worried about gas. You can tell with Tim Richmond, who has just taken the lead. Richmond moves back to the point. Let's go to Dick Berger in the Tim Richmond pit. Well, Harry Hyde, the car looks like it's running very well. Are you going to tell Tim to conserve at the end of the race? Well, uh, you know, we're hoping right now we can make it on fuel. And that's our biggest worry. So Harry Hyde there tells us they're they're within a lap or two on fuel, and it's um it's going to be kind of dicey there, Andy, for the fuel situation. As much as he worries about gas, he nearly needs to get some Beano or something. I mean, it'd help him out. Yeah, uh, you tell him that. Not a chance in hell. <laughs> uh, 
So we've got, um, we learned that they've lost, we also learned at this point that they've lost radio contact with Tim Richmond. Yeah, did you hear how they was talking about they contacted him? I mean, they're shaking a card up and down for yes, left to right to no. It, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, can you imagine having to walk, drive and you're you're going down the straightaway, <laughs> 180, I guess, back then, maybe something like that. And you're looking to your left trying to see a sign on pit road and see how is it going up or down left or right. And you're bouncing around on the track because the track's rough. I, I don't, I don't know how you do it. Like when you lose radio communication, I think you just do the best you can. Yeah. Just hang on. And then when it starts slipping too much, come in and get you some tires and hope for the best. So they interviewed Childress about this time. And he thinks that the, that Richmond is pretty stout. And he says that they can, they can make it on gas. So you've got Richmond, Bodine, Earnhardt, and um, Morgan Shepard, the top four, as we apparently near the end of the race. We don't really know yet. I mean, we can only assume that it's close to the end of the race. And then we do find out that we are down to 10 laps to go. Richmond, several seconds ahead. Um, Dick Bergeron in the five pit. Nelson says that they had radio problems that, that got Jeff behind. We have Richmond, who has passed Bobby Hillen and Bobby Allison, We've got Earnhardt trying to catch up, but he's still a few seconds behind. And um, five laps to go, and Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let it begin. Five laps to go. Trouble in turn one. That's Buddy Arrington's car from Martinsville, Virginia. The pirouettes to a stop down in turn one. Arrington spins the wheel, gets it going again. Gets up on the racetrack. And, oh, Morgan Shepard piles into Arrington. seen if have you ever witnessed a um if you've ever played a video game yes this is the way to go with it Very if good. you've ever played a video game and you've got somebody that's just wanting to cause chaos in a an online race and you're you're coming around the turn and you've got somebody that's sitting there and all of a sudden he pulls out on the track to cause a, a, a hellacious crash that's basically what happened. Yes, I, that's the perfect analogy. I mean, he's sitting there, and you're like, okay, everything's died down now. And all of a sudden, he tries to take off, and you're like, okay, he's got time. He's going straight up the track. He's got the track. Bam! Oh, good Lord, Mother Mary and Jesus. Hey, I, 
I know. I guess I know what he was trying to do. To I, I know that the grass was wet because of the, all the rain, and maybe he thought that he could shoot up across the track and let the cars go under him. But even then, Andy, I mean, it, it would still had to be close. You've got guys piling into this turn 160, 150, 60 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, you've got this <laughs> dumbass that comes out of nowhere onto the track. And he is, it's really lucky. I mean, no, no kidding. It's real lucky that Morgan Shepard, Arrington, or Harry Gant wasn't severely injured in this crash. Well, that's the bad part. You you watch it, and it's not like he pulls up the track, it dies, and he's sitting there for like five, ten seconds. It's almost immediately. So he had to see them coming down that straightaway. That's the thing. Surely. It, it's it's not like it's not like they just had like a restart and the whole pack was bunched up and you'd got time to to make that move. They're the they're all spread out anyway, and if as fast as he got hit when he stalled, there he shouldn't. Even if he wouldn't have stalled, he shouldn't have done that because I would think that they had had to be taking evasive action, seeing him coming up across the track anyway, and then just then stopping. I mean, what are you going to do? You just pile right into the guy. Well, yeah, you got to feel bad for like Harry Gant. He had enough time. That's how how slow this or how quick this happened. Harry Gant was still probably two or three seconds back and had time to dive down and still got caught up in it. Yeah, honestly, I'm if I'm trying to think, Andy, have you seen in NASCAR a more dumb move ever than that? I have I have racked my brain. Of. I have looked on the internet. I cannot think of a single incident where somebody pulled that stupid of a maneuver. I mean, I'm not a professional racer, but apparently he wasn't either because there ain't no way in the world he should have done that. The only one that I could think that might come close is um, Kevin LePage at Talladega in a Bush race or Nationwide, whatever it was, a few years ago. He's blending onto the track off a pit stop, and the whole field's coming, and he blends right in front of the whole field and causes the big one. Other than that, I can't think of anything else that would be that crazy. And I mean, even with LePage's thing, LePage's was, was crazy, but it was it it was in the course of racing. So yeah, it was stupid. Yeah, you know, one of them. Okay, bring their maneuver. This guy pulled out across the track. I mean, pulled across yeah, the sideways, track. dead sideways. Not trying to the meet track. the people. He pulled across it. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what was going on, but I've never seen, I, I forgot about this wreck, I guess. I don't know. Cause when I saw it, I just, I mean, I took a double take. What? What? Are you kidding me? This was, it was an insanity. Um, it's just, it was crazy. It was, it was crazy. Um, so also something we learn out of this that's just an interesting sidebar. Um, our, our, this is just something I read online. So with Arrington's lapse of judgment, the ramifications would extend to another person with Arrington. After he was hurt in this crash, he wasn't able to race at Michigan the next week. And he tabbed an ARCA regular Rick Baldwin to run in his place. Five days after the Arrington accident, Baldwin loses control while attempting to qualify strikes the outside retaining wall flush at Michigan on the driver's side, shattering his helmet and leaving him with massive internal injuries. He slipped into a coma, and he would die 11 years later, never regaining consciousness. Now, we make fun of a lot of stuff. I'm not making – this is this is just 
it, and I'm not saying Buddy Arrington killed this this kid, but it indirectly leads maybe to a guy that shouldn't have been in a NASCAR out on the track at Michigan, spins into the wall, and it, basically, I mean, it killed for all intents and purposes, it killed him. Well, that's something that I, we're going to run across it a lot is all the what ifs going this far back in time and watching the races. We're going to run into a lot of what ifs or prophetic moments or moments where you can see somebody concerned about something and then you know later on down the road that that kind of thing will happen and you know it, it, it's just eerie i don't know it's a weird weird thing yeah i mean and i didn't i never i didn't realize that that happened that 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 this that it indirectly led to what happens the next week in michigan uh, it's just crazy but we will go to um, victory lane right now and here from Tim Richmond, who finally gets another NASCAR win on, uh, and finally gets his first NASCAR win of 1986. Long time. It has been a long time. Yeah, where are we at? Okay. Right over here. Tim Richmond, obviously elated to be here on Victory Lane for the second time at Pocono. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's great. Anywhere in Victory Lane is great, but, you know, it's been such a long time for me. At, uh, those last 20 laps were... I was sweating. Well, I'm not sweating too much right now, but I was sweating bad in there. <laughs> Timmy, how about the fuel situation? Your crew was concerned about it. Were you aware of the fuel situation? Well, we had re- actually lost all the radios in the in the car. I mean, they were still in there. Nobody took them or anything, but I couldn't talk to them. I didn't know what the situation was, and I kept would I keep asking questions like, "Do I need to conserve fuel and hold up the sign if I do?" Because the mic was live, it wouldn't it wouldn't cut cut off, so they could talk to me. So. I kept asking him all these questions. I kept asking him if Earnhardt was the the yellow car back way back there because I couldn't tell, and I was just making sure I'd conserve fuel and get him back there in it. Did you know the fuel was close? Well, I figured it was, but, you know, I never... Harry's the one that tells me all that, so, and I, I just drive the car. You came on in the second half after the long rain delay, and you ran so strong. Were there any changes in either the way you drove the car or the way it was prepared? Uh, not really. You know, we had had a little struggle there when the rain finally came. Uh, and when the race restarted, the tires, the track came back to me, I think. It was kind of like a situation in, uh, in Charlotte that, 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 that Earnhardt, uh, you know, kind of the track came to him after that rain. Today, the track came to me, and, it, and now we're all even again. And you were watching Earnhardt in the mirror, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I was definitely watching him back there. It's, uh, you know, it's nerve-wracking to be up front, especially like what happened to me last week when Daryl beat me. The caution came out again, and he beat me to the line for the... For the last deal, and um, you know, I'm excited. Can you tell? <laughs> As well, he should be at this place. This is the racetrack that gave Tim Richmond his Winston Cup start, and here he is on Victory Lane yeah. for the second time. Let me do it. Thanks. <laughs> the win breaks a two-year drought for Tim Richmond. He's not won since April of 1984. Word from the Infield Care Center is that Morgan Shepard is okay. He'll be released. Harry Gant and Buddy Arrington will be kept overnight for observation, but no serious injury to any of the three drivers. That's good news. That is indeed good news, Mike, that they took a lick like they took down in turn one, and they're going to walk away from it. Mugging for the camera is Tim Richmond, the victor in the Miller High Life 500. The Miller... So there you have it, and Tim Richmond finally gets a win, Andy, in 1986. Yes, and they go to interview him, and you can hear the genuine joy. I, I, I don't know, it's so refreshing to hear the interviews from uh, Victory Lane in these races because they actually have genuine joy. They're not trying to remember and fit in all the sponsors and, you know, their rehearsed speech. It's just, you know, joy. 
Yeah, and he, 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 even there during the interview, he said, uh, what am I supposed to do now? Like it was right as over, you catch that, but he was, I don't, and as we'll go through the, this, um, journey here, we'll learn and we know, I don't know if there's anybody that's ever drove Pocono that's any better than Tim Richmond at Pocono. He is Mr. Pocono. Yes. And, and then we was talking, you know, the days of thunder quote. I mean, it is word for word. I, I, I just, just listen to Harry. I drive yeah. the car. I just drive the car. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the days of thunder just didn't have the guts to say it was the Tim Richmond story, like, you know, a loose adaptation of the Tim Richmond story because they were still all the, uh, negative connotations about the AIDS and all that back then before we know what we know now. So, but just to see him that happy at Richmond, uh, I mean, Richmond that happy in victory lane, um, that was a, it was a good, good drive for him, solid win. And, uh, that was really his launching point there in 1986. Cause up until then he had had a couple of good runs. He had come on a little bit at Charlotte. He ran, he could have won, Riverside, he should probably should have won Riverside, but Richmond, the first part of 1986, he was not running well. And you can tell that this time that Harry Hyde's spent learning him and they've learned each other, they're starting to figure it out. Well, you know, we've talked about it in previous podcasts. We've picked this year because, you know, it's more or less the year that Richmond emerges and all this, and we're watching the first five, six races of it, and he's no... Yeah, he's, he's nowhere. nowhere. Yeah, he's not even nowhere to be seen. He's like he's like an afterthought. It's like, and here's Tim Richmond back here running with Jimmy Smut Means and Dave Marcus yeah. for twenty fourth. Up until the last two races, his big highlight was doing commentary while driving the car. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean that was impressive. But yeah, he hadn't he had qualified good a couple of times, but man, he just had not raced well. And then here he finally puts it all together here at uh, Pocono for the first race at Pocono in 1986. Okay, Andy, um, we won't do the awards for Pocono. Um, it's just, uh, there was not enough race to really kind of figure out what was going on. I mean, it was a decent, it was a decent clip, but it was so chopped up. It's really hard to follow that race. Yeah. It looked, and I really hate that too, because it looked like it was probably a decent race or a good race. Yeah, even. probably a good race. But it, there's just not enough there to go by. Yeah, and it just jumped around too much. I mean, obviously, driver of the race, Tim Richmond, um, Goody's Headache Award to Harry Gant and uh, Morgan Shepard for somebody else's stupidity. Okay, um, so any other uh, any other thoughts here as uh, as we wrap this one up? I, much, much like Darrell Walter, we had the highs to highs and the lowest to lows. I mean, you, it it was a weird week. It was. It was all over the place. And uh, looking here at our schedule, we just completed Pocono. Now I think we do have the full Michigan race, uh, the Miller, Miller American Four Hundred is next up and i'm pretty sure it's a fairly long clip if it is then we will just cover the michigan race here next week if it's shorter than i think then we'll do michigan and daytona but we'll probably just um probably just do michigan here next week andy and uh then we'll be ready for daytona in two weeks yeah daytona baby my one of my favorites right there oh and this is something that we haven't even actually talked about in person um, we was talking about the Patreon and, and what we were going to do on the next Patreon show. And we are still going to do the 1978, um, 
season finale. But we are coming up on Daytona season, so I think it would be appropriate. I mean, this show we are going to do, we're going to try to do as many seasons as we can. But, I mean, realistically, even if we pile out one of these a week or two two races a week, it's going to take a long time to get to some of these races. So I think what we might ought to do for uh, in in celebration of Daytona coming up in about a month, maybe the first couple of Patreon shows we will – um, let some people vote on our page on I'll pick four or five Daytona 500s and whichever one wins, that is the race that we'll cover for Patreon. How about that? That sounds like a plan to me. Anytime you cover Daytona, it can't be bad. Yeah, well, and, and here, I'm going to say this right now. No suggestions for 2001. I, I, mean, I just I, can't do it. I no. mean, it was a, and it's such a shame because that was really probably until that happened, maybe the, best daytona 500 i'd ever watched because it was full of excitement my god you had tony stewart flipping down the back stretch you had a big one you had six thousand lead changes it seems like and then you had the last turn yeah and that's one of those things you know i've always up to that point i've heard people talk about i knew where i was when jfk died or you know i knew where i was when this big history event happened I know exactly where I was when, as a matter of fact, you were the one that called me and told me what happened after the race was over because Dale, you know, Rex, eh, no big deal. You know, yeah. I've done turned it off. I'm going to do something else. Yeah, I mean, you, you see something like that and you don't expect it to be no worse than it, I mean, you know, that bad. Because we saw the, my God, the Talladega, the two, he's, the two Talladega Rex that he had where he wound up on his lid, they were both way more vicious looking. So, uh, but we're not going to do 2001, so don't even, don't even suggest that. I mean, I'm going to put a poll out and we'll have some to pick from, but, uh, we're not going to do 2001 until we eventually get to 2001. Then I guess we'll suck it up and do it. But until then, um, that's not going to be a Patreon special. We're not going to do that just for the heck of it. Yeah. I can't even guarantee I'll do that one. I might skip that yeah, one. Yeah. We, we may have to get a pinch hitter in for that episode, um, for Andy. Um, all right, so you know where to find us. Um, you can uh, follow, like I said before, follow our group, uh, Racing Through Time, on Facebook. We will add you. Let us know what you think of the shows, what you like, what you don't like. We don't care. If you don't like it, tell us. If you like it, that's cool, too. Tell us what you do like. Tell us what you don't like. That's the only way we can, we can uh, you know, make it a more enjoyable experience for you. What do you want to hear more of? What do you want to hear less of? Yes, let Ricky pleasure you. <laughs> well, I don't know if you want that, but you know, we'll, we'll accommodate up to a certain point. I mean, at some at some point in the race, we did uh, have somebody getting four rubber, four cornered of ru- four corners of rubbers in that one race, and uh, it reminded me of some of my ex girlfriends. That would have caused a debris caution. It would have. Uh, we can uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter. I don't post a lot on Twitter. I'm more active on Facebook, but I'm at OPR Word on Twitter. And for all your motorsports news and information, follow onpitroad.com. Email the show at racingthroughtimeproject at gmail.com. And once again, you can catch the show on Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Patreon. Uh, we'll have Patreon coming soon. And um, we also have it on uh, SoundCloud. So, Andy, any other final words before we end this one? Nope, just ready to get it on for next week. Yeah, we'll see how Michigan comes out. Like I, I have no f- knowledge of what happens That's in this the, Michigan race. That's the one good thing about 
a faulty memory for at least for this early portion of our NASCAR journey. When I get up into the nineties, I'll remember a little more, but even then, I mean, I've saw some highlights of races before and I'm like, my God, I don't remember that race was that good or this happened then. It's just, you just forget this kind of stuff if you don't watch it all the time. Well, that's the part that catches me off guard sometimes. I'm like, I don't remember this. And then I think about it. I'm like, well, I was six. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was outside, you know, uh, setting ants on fire when I was six. <laughs> I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't watching and I was, I was kind of in tuned with the uh, NWA and Ric Flair and, all that was going on with the Four Horsemen and Hulk Hogan on the WWF show. So I had a lot of other stuff going on. I was I, I was trying to prioritize. Yeah, my favorite toy was a backer stick in mud. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> so, yeah. but we're going back and we we'll watch this Michigan race with truly fresh eyes because I don't have a damn clue what happens. <laughs> and most time we don't. All right, so uh, for Andy Waddell, I'm Ricky Wittenberg, and uh, this is another Racing Through Time in the books. We'll